Welcome to the Easy Conversation Podcast. Listen as we pause to connect for honest, open, and transparent conversations about purpose, relationships, faith, family, and a whole lot more. I'm Nate Brown, VP of Tech. I am Lisa Brown, VP of Operations in the Brown Household. We've been through a thing or two, and we want to make conversing easy again. So let us break the ice for you and help make the vulnerable and uncomfortable conversations easier and less awkward. Hello, friends. We are back. This is the second episode of the Easy Conversation podcast. We're excited to be back with you today. And today's topic is stuck in the middle, dealing with pressure to fit in as a minority. Yeah, we're going to jump right into the awkward and uncomfortable conversations about being a minority and what it's like to feel that pressure to, to fit in and be a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things, and talk through our experiences with those, both as as um, young people and as, and as, as adults. Mm-hmm. You want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start off. I think we'll, I'll start with sort of sharing my experience growing up and some of the pressures that I, that I felt, um, and then we can kind of go into adulthood and where we are today. And so for me growing up, you know, we, I grew up in um, very much a uh, um, healthy household with both parents and, and, you know, a big family of siblings, and we lived out in the suburbs and of Chicago on the south side, and had a really great upbringing and, and never had any reason to feel any kind of pressure or any sort of, um, I guess, you know, pressure to, to be a certain way. But for some reason growing up, I, I, and I guess maybe growing up in the middle of what I would call the, the heat or the, the, the peak of gang culture and drug culture in, in, in Chicago during the time in the nineties where, you know, gang violence was at a high and, and seeing the images in the, in the news and in the media of, of what, um, you know, young black men were going through, you know, incarceration and, and drug use and drug dealing and mm-hmm. gangs and hearing from everyone that, you know, you want to, you don't, don't join a gang, you can never get out unless you die. And, you know, you, of course, growing up in the, the D.A.R.E. movement, you know, just, you know, the drugs and all those good things, right? But I think um, for me as a, as a child, the way I processed that was it became pressure to not be a certain way. For me, it became, I associated those things gangs and drugs and violence and and all that with with being black because that's what i saw right usually you saw on tv in the news or newspaper or what you heard oh yeah you know it was you know a young black male was did this or had done that or 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 was murdered or, or was you know those kind of things and that sort of shaped in my head what what it meant to be a young black male and not that my parents you know did a poor job of, of raising me and, and, and telling me who i who i could be and who i can be it was just that the images that I saw and the way I processed it as a child sort of told me that I don't want to be that way. I want to be different. I don't want to be that, you know, that that black guy. And do you remember a specific time when you did realize that this is not something that I want to become? I, I don't know if I if I can pinpoint a specific, you know, point in time. There's definitely different events where that that showed me that I didn't quite fit in to mm-hmm. the image that I think those around me would have put me in for being a young black man. I, I'll never forget um, playing basketball at the city rec center. I'm about probably 12, 13 years old, and I was on the, on the bleachers waiting for my game to start, and this guy from another team came by. and was like, hey, man, you heard that new song by so-and-so? And I was like, no, I don't know that song. Oh, well, you, you heard a song by, by this person? I was like, don't know him either. Oh, so you a so-and-so fan? I was like, 
nope, don't know that that guy either. And <laughs> he was kind of like, you know, you, what, what do you listen to? How, you, don't, you don't know these songs, you know? And I kind of felt like, you know, I guess put in a corner, like, you know, you should know these songs. You know, you're a young black man. You should know these hip hop songs. And, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't grow up listening to hip hop and rap. And so at that time, I, I had really no knowledge of what he was even talking about and who the song, whose song it was and who the artist was. And so I remember that making me feel like, you know, well, maybe I should know. Like maybe as a young black man, I should know these things, but I don't, you know, and, and I can I can recall times, you know, growing up and and as I got older and hanging out with friends and, and sort of seeing the group of friends that I had, there are some friends I had that were, that were black and I felt like sometimes I didn't want to be in a group of, of, you know, black guys that was too big because I didn't want to be associated with being in the gang. You know, I didn't want people to think that, oh, these guys are up to no good. It's, you know, four or five young black men in a group together. So I would avoid, literally avoid hanging out with large groups of, of other young black men my age. And then also we're feeling, feeling out of place when I, you know, I would hang out with groups of people that didn't look like me. Right, because we had I had friends that were you know white, Hispanic, Asian, all of the above, and so when I would be with that group, I felt a bit out of place because no one sort of looked like me or had a similar experience as I did growing up, and so I felt out of place there. So I felt stuck in the middle. Right, I didn't want to be associated with my own culture because there was some stigma associated with it and some um, stereotypes and things that were associated with that I didn't, that I didn't want to be associated with, and then there was the group that I didn't fit in with because we just didn't have the same experiences. So I felt stuck in the middle. And I, I, looking back on it now, I was thinking about this this morning in the shower, you know, I kind of forced myself to be a loner. I forced myself to kind of just wander in the middle because I didn't really fit in with either side. And so I found myself, especially during junior high and high school, just like intentionally not being close to either group. Like I mentioned, not wanting to be associated with this stigma and not, not really feeling like I fit in with that group over here, so I was stuck in the middle. And that's mm-hmm. that pressure, which I don't think I, that I got that pressure from anything my parents or family did. You know, it wasn't that it was something that... It was just a personal choice. Yeah, it was just sort of something that I developed on my own. It's this thought that, you know, I don't want to be like this or like that, and so I got to try to find a way to be different, which I think in the end is, is good, mm-hmm. right? Because I think my, you know, my, my parents, you know, like I said, they, they raised us to to, I guess, not put our our race in the foreground, right? It was more towards the background. We were people first. We were we were we were Christian first and we were people next and then we were black later, right? So we weren't we weren't raised with our, our race in the foreground. And I, I think that was a good thing for us. I, you know, I grew up being a person rather than being mm-hmm. a black person. Mm-hmm. And so um but later on in life that sort of, you know, surfaced as I really understood who I was, where I where I came from, my history, the history of my people and the, the the issues that we face, which we'll get into later from, from my perspective. But, mm-hmm. so um, did that come later on getting to know your history and yeah, yeah, I even think, your family history? Did that yeah, come later? Yeah, that came later. And I, I think even just in general, understanding, um, black history in general and, and, and our heritage and, and what it meant and, and what we went through, that sort of knowledge came later. And, you know, that brought a whole other set of pressures on its own, but, yeah, we again we were we weren't raised black first, but I think I think that's where I guess your and yours and my experience differs a bit because I think you know you grew up in a in a family where where culture was very much present and, and very much around you in the mm-hmm. forefront. Yeah, yeah. So growing up, um, I experienced similar things as Nate did, and in, in middle school, I also had problems with identifying with 
um, hanging out with, you know, the cool kids and, right. and, or the kids who, you know, were really super smart, but it was a really tough time for me because that was around the time my parents were separated and they were going through a divorce. So, um, I sort of isolated as well. And it was a time when I was being bullied and most of the students in the school and the community that I attended were all native American. Right. Um, most of the non natives, um, in the community were teachers or they were healthcare workers, mm -hmm. and um, that's what I saw. Or they worked in the near border town. Um, my dad was also, he is also a Native American artist. He's a silversmith, and so mm -hmm. most of my interaction with a different race was in my travels with him, and right. uh, as a young girl helping my dad um, create and make these amazing, beautiful um, silver jewelry and um flatware pieces and we would go to to Albuquerque or we would go into Gallup or you know wherever there was a a, a gift shop or a place where we could sell mm -hmm. um and the usually the person who owned the shop was was white right. and so that was my probably my earliest encounters other than my teachers with somebody who was non-native you know as a young girl my my parents were were really good at instilling in us a lot of the the Navajo values. Um, it was something that I always knew. I didn't know anything different outside of right. the reservation. And so as an adult now, looking back on it, I could see, you know, I'm very, very grateful for a lot of the lessons that I was taught as a young person. Um, but it was very confusing for me in, mm -hmm. in middle school, especially because and on the reservation and the school that I attended, we were learning about Nav Navajo culture as early as kindergarten. Right. Um, and I started to learn to read and write and take advanced courses for speaking the Navajo language because that's, that's huge is right. preserving the language and passing on the traditions and the values of Navajo culture. So um, we would celebrate Native American week. And that was like the highlight of the school year, you know, because right. my mom would sew us these really cute dresses or... Uh, we would wear moccasins. I always thought it was so cool to wear moccasins to school. It's just a different feeling than <laughs> right. wearing your tennis shoes, you know? Right. And the whole school goes all out. You know, all the girls wear their hair in a traditional bun. And I just I just love that. I felt yeah. like wearing this skirt and wearing, you know, my velvet top and my jewelry. You know, right. you don't wear jewelry as a kid to school. Right. But to wear these beautiful pieces... Um, it just felt different for me. I was so very proud to be Navajo and to be able to introduce myself right. in my own language was something now that I'm I'm so glad that I'm able to to do still. The Navajo tribe is actually really big. It's right. one of the largest uh, tribes in the United States out of over 560 tribes that are federally recognized. So mm -hmm. um, wherever you go, that's one of the first things that you do and you say is your name, where you're from, and you identify yourself within those four clans. And so immediately right. you're able to identify with other, um, other people who are Navajo. We as a family did not have traditional ceremonies and mm -hmm. in Navajo culture you know you're supposed to get up before the sun and you face the east mountain there's four mm -hmm. with the Navajo tr um, 
reservation is nestled within these four mountains, also known as the four sacred mountains. So Mm -hmm. as a little girl, we were learning, you know, how to say these prayers and to face a certain direction when you pray in the morning, the sun rises in the east. So you, you know, you sprinkle your corn pollen, you pray. And I mean, I don't, I didn't really know what all that meant. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so rich. There's so much knowledge and information around what it means to be Navajo. And, um, my parents didn't speak Navajo to mm-hmm, us, mm-hmm. so I wasn't a fluent speaker. Right. And that's something that I really, um, you know, that's an area of tension because it's like, again, being stuck in the middle. You yeah, can't fully identify yeah, yeah. with those who are affluent speakers and those who don't speak it at all. It, in some ways, it makes me feel like I'm less, I'm right. less Navajo because I can't speak the language. Yeah, and, and you really... You know, as you just describe it, we're entrenched in in the culture, both within your home and without, right? So, mm-hmm. in school and in, in growing up between Window Rock, Arizona, and Gallup, New Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, you saw Native American culture everywhere, right? You saw mm-hmm. the art, you saw the people, you saw the the celebrations and the, the ceremonies, you saw, you heard the stories, you saw the people, mm-hmm. and then in with in in your home, you know, you were you were taught the lessons and you and you spoke the language and you know, you heard the stories and, and so you really had that, that culture all around you. So absolutely. did you, did you ever feel like with, in the midst of that, that you didn't quite fit into that? Did you ever feel like you weren't, you weren't Native American enough? I don't think that feeling came until I got into high school because I had said earlier that I was bullied in right. middle school when I was 12, 13. So when you were going around the same age, you were starting to feel that, you know, that feeling of I'm different. Right. Um, I went to the local public schools and in the middle school that I attended it it the community was could be in some way similar to urban life because there were drugs mm-hmm. there were gangs there was alcoholism and and there was poverty mm-hmm. and um you know it was a rural area so a lot of people you know don't don't have a lot of things to do and so um violence and and all that was prevalent as well during mm-hmm. that time. And so one of the things I knew that I was not wanting for my life um, was to be a part of the crowd that did party. And right. I knew that I didn't want to be associated with that. Mm-hmm. And I certainly was my parents, you know, same way. Don't do drugs. Don't mm-hmm. go with anybody you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just school and home. That's where right. I spent majority of my time. And so the, the tension came when I was being bullied because the, peop, the, the people who were bullying me, uh, guys and girls, were very cruel. And they, oh, I, I forgot to mention this. I actually ran for a, okay, so the, so the Navajo Nation has a, a Miss Navajo Nation. They have pageants. Right, yep, they're not yep. beauty pageants, but they're pageants. You have a talent. Mm-hmm. And um, in school, we had a little miss, you know, school we had a little right, miss right. princess of of whatever school right right i don't want to put the name out there but <laughs> <laughs> and so i ran okay mm-hmm. i ran and mm-hmm. like i said i was all you know excited to wear my attire and, mm-hmm. and go out there and show my talent and um and and um well these group of kids were very cruel and just you know just tear you down they right. they know just exactly what to say and it tore my self-esteem and my self-confidence mm-hmm. apart and so i felt at that moment, I think I felt embarrassed. Yeah. I felt embarrassed to be. That's you know, interesting. What I enjoyed, what I enjoyed being, yeah. and well, being you, being right? me. <laughs> that I mean, so that 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 would have represented you representing your culture, right? Right. Would have represented you 
re- representing the, the pinnacle of your culture, right? You'd be the representation of your culture. Mm-hmm. And so to be made fun of or bullied because you were trying to be who you are, mm-hmm. like talk about pressure being stuck in the middle. Like mm-hmm. now you're, be, you're, you're, you're trying to be who you're, who you know you are in terms of your culture and heritage. Mm-hmm. And that's, you're being bullied for that. But then if you don't, you know, you get bullied because you're not Navajo enough. Right. So again, talk about stuck in the middle. That's, that's, that's a lot of pressure as a, as a, as a young person. Yeah, definitely. And so after I made it out of that situation, you know, my father withdrew me from school and we went to the next town over about 30 minutes away. And it was a completely different experience because in that community, it, although it wasn't on the Navajo reservation, there were a lot of, um, Navajo kids who went to school there. And there, I also got to see other Um, people from other backgrounds, you know, Hispanic and white and black. And to be with these other students, I think I just kind of shrunk because Mm -hmm. from what I had come from. And for a while, it took me mm, probably about a year. Good, good. You know, my freshman year went by so fast. And then I think that's when I really started to see where do I fit? Um, right. you yeah. know, I, and it had, it just ended up being with the athletes cause I played volleyball and right. thankfully I had sports as an outlet to identify mm-hmm. with that group. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't really hang out with the native kids. I didn't really know anyone. Um, I wasn't a part of, you know, the, the cool crowd. I felt like what was the cool crowd? Um, yeah. I just felt, I guess, sort of invisible. Yeah. That's, I, I think I felt the same way. Like I felt more at home with um, groups that were focused around athletics mm-hmm. or where I worked. So, you know, being playing basketball through high school, I fit in well with the basketball team because we all had one thing in common, right? We were a team, mm-hmm. you know, playing together for, for a common goal. Didn't matter what race we were, you know, or, or where we came from or who we knew or what we did, we were all playing ball. Mm-hmm. And then same thing for work. Like, I, I, I love being at work because we all wore the same uniforms. We all had the same goal of, of making sales. I worked at Office Max, right? Making sales, selling office furniture and paper and printers and mm-hmm. boring things like that, right? And so it didn't matter where we came from. It didn't matter who we, who we were or even where we came from because once we got, got on the floor to support, you know, the customers and sell, and mm-hmm. sell stuff, we're on, the same team. we're on the same team and we all did the same way, right? We all sort of changed who we were. You know, we we became Office Max employees, right? Mm. You know, hi, I'm to conform can I help to you? that role, right? To conform right. to that role, and so mm-hmm. now I got to escape the pressure of having to be one way or the other. That's good because if this was expected, now I'm we're all the same here, mm-hmm. and so I think I did find an escape in work, and I, I'll never forget. There's a couple things that happened when I was working at Office Max. Two things that made me think, like, man, even here it comes up. So I remember answering the phone one time and saying, "Hi, this is Nate. Thanks for calling Office Max. How can I help you?" and you know, the guy on the, on the phone was obviously an older black man. He's asking about some, I don't know, paper or something. And I was like, yeah, we have this. You can come in. It's an aisle three, and I'll meet you here and so forth. And so he gets there, and he asks for me, and I show up. He goes, oh, you're Nate? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I thought you were a white boy on the phone. And oh. I was like, <laughs> okay, like, thanks, I guess. Yeah. He's like, you're, supposed to be a cop? Yeah, he's like, you're talking like a white boy on the phone. I thought you were, thought you were a white boy. I'm like, okay, but like. I can't, I can't speak up and enunciate my words and talk pleasantly and, and be black at the same time. Is mm-hmm. that, is that, mm-hmm. is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And so that message was what came across was, oh, you, you, you're not being black enough. You got to make sure you keep stay black on the phone, even mm-hmm. in Office Max when you're working. When the goal is not to be at any particular culture or race, it's the goal is to sell office supplies. 
and so it even crept up there. And then another another incident I never forget was mm-hmm. um, when I was I was helping a a, a couple and and they were a, a black couple, like an older black couple, and they were looking for office supplies and helped them out for for a little while. And um, when they were checking out, the guy pulls me aside and goes, "Hey, you know, we got to help each other out here. You know, we got to look out for each other." You know, because no one else, you know, looks out for us. It's, mm. You know, yeah, we got to help each other. Got to be, you know, sit together. We're black. I sit together. I'm like, okay, I, I get that. But like, how is that relevant right now? You, you're buying pens and paper and printers, and I, 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 I don't even know you, but yet you feel the need to tell me that we got to stick together and I got to, you know, I'm like, I, I didn't realize. I'm like, how is that relevant? Like, I'm trying to do my job. Like, let me work. Right? This is my escape. Let me, let me sell paper. Darn it! Like, <laughs> I'm associate Nate right, Brown. I, right, I'm a sales associate. Right? I'm trying yeah. to make this six fifty an hour right here, and you're right. messing 650. me up. Six fifty. Oh man, I was make you five. <laughs> right? right. So, um, so yeah, like even there, even there in my escape of work, it came up. Yeah. So and then I guess another job I had working at working at Six Flags. Um, selling snow cones and we called ourselves the blue mafia. We were, we, we all wore, um, Navy blue shirts and pants and so forth and Navy blue hats. And so our, our boss was, was an Italian guy who, um, absolutely love. And, um, we call ourselves the, the blue mafia. I mean, he was the Don and, and mm-hmm. we, we had a mix of white, black, Hispanic, and, and we all worked together well. And we, it, no one ever even thought twice about, you know, what our backgrounds were and what race we were. And so I, I think I always felt and it's always always found an escape in in work in working and then even even mm-hmm. to this day I still do right. Mm-hmm. It's still an escape where I I can be who I am without the boundaries of well you're you know you're a black male so you should act and respond this way or look this way, you know or you're a you know you're whatever and your background is this so you should look and respond that way. Mm-hmm. I get to just be me because I'm working and I have a goal and we all have a common goal. So I found I found an escape in in athletics and and work I think similar similar to what to what you were just saying, mm-hmm. yeah. So so I guess fast forward to to as we getting getting to older young adults in high school and the college, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, that's where like I was saying I became more aware of really the struggle that um, you know was associated with you know African American heritage, and became more aware of. I guess the real world and how yeah. and how people do view view me as a, as a young black male, you know the the funny looks or walking into certain rooms, certain environments, and feeling like I'm being stared at or being watched or being followed because I don't I may steal something in the store, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I got I began to experience that for myself, and then and again just makes you feel marginalized, like okay, mm-hmm. I don't fit in with the group that doesn't look like me because they think I'm going to steal something or they think I'm going to you know, do whatever. So I, I don't fit in there. And then as I got older and was, you know, becoming more educated and doing different things and, and, and I, I sort of felt like I felt I fit in even less with, you know, my, my African-American side. And so, you know, just, yeah, just that, I think that struggle continued on. And, you know, I even, I even got to a point and I tell people this all the time now, like I'm, I'm so open with this part of my life that mm-hmm. in college, I, I was so embarrassed of who I was because, I was, I was, I mean, not embarrassed, but ashamed of who I was, right? I was, at one point, I was the fat kid. I was the tall kid. I was the smart kid. I was the quiet kid. I was the black kid. I was the, mm-hmm. you know, I was all those things, all those labels. And then when I, by the time I got to college, you know, I felt like, you know, if I didn't want to be labeled, I better just not be seen, right? I better find a way to avoid people and not be judged and not be labeled. So I would try to, like, if I came in a room with one door, I leave in the, in the other door so you wouldn't see me twice. So you couldn't judge me, 
right? You couldn't mm-hmm. even you couldn't even look at me to live with me because you wouldn't even see me. I come in once and leave a different way, or I go into a building one way and leave a different uh, through a different exit because I didn't want to walk past the same people again. Because I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be labeled. And it got to the point to where you know I was trying to avoid the pressure. I was avoiding people and places and altogether and just being like really weird, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, just and I I told myself it was just me protecting myself or me being tough or me, you know, um, being smart, right? I'm outsmarting everybody because you saw me come in, but you didn't see me leave, so you can't judge me, mm-hmm. right? I outsmarted you. But that was just my, my what, what Brene Brown in her book calls my armor to help protect my vulnerability and my shame was to not be seen and to avoid contact with people. So I sort of continued that sort of isolation that I started in high school and mm. just kind of kept to myself, right? I even I had I had friends that um, there were really great friends in high school, right? I mean, in uh, in college, um, in my my honors program and in another in my uh, my internship there, you know, I had a lot of good people around me that that mm-hmm. I, that really wanted to connect. That I always sort of kept at bay because, you know, I'm Nate. I gotta I gotta keep a shield up because I don't I don't know if I'll fit in with you, and I don't know if I'll fit in over here either so let me just mm-hmm. be in the middle again and so so that can definitely affect your relationships yeah yeah absolutely and so, so I, I never i didn't, only made very few um long-term friends in college like you know, i always see people who make you know these lifelong college friends i'm like yeah i have like a, a couple that i can call out right now that yes yeah, i still talk to right and because <laughs> i just never allow myself to get that close um because I, I feel like i didn't fit in i didn't know how to how to be black i didn't know how to be you know, not black. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, and, and then, and then we mentioned how, um, some people can put labels or, or boxes around you. I, I remember being in a, a class for my honors program and it was a class about, um, call it American history, but through like folk music, <laughs> um, it, it fulfilled like eight credits. So I was like, I'll take it. Um, hey, I it, I did the same thing too, and <laughs> as much as I didn't want to yeah. do, I ended up taking a death and dying class. Yeah, and like so, this this class was the teacher was like <laughs> all about the, yeah, yeah to fulfill the credits. Like, yeah. hey, I get eight or nine credits, That's I'll right. take it. Yeah. So this class, um, I'll never forget. We were um, we were going into sort of the roots of of the blue of blues and sort of the African American roots of blues and the blues movement, and and some early early African American folk music, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the teacher had read a lyric to a song and and said, so who knows the, who's, who's, who wrote this song? Or who knows the song? And everyone was quiet. No one knew the song. He looks dead at me and goes, well, you know the song for sure, don't you, Nate? You know this song. You know who wrote this song. I'm like, no. That's why I'm in this class. <laughs> and of course, I'm the, I'm the only black, one, black person in the class. I'm like, oh. and what made it even funnier was that against the wall where I was sitting was a poster of Martin Luther King above me. And here I am, the black guy sitting below Martin Luther King, being singled out, asked, you know, well, you know this song, don't you? Because it's, a, it's, a, it's black folk music. You should know this song, right? Nate, you know this song. Of course you know this song. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, no. I'm like, and even here, I, I still hear it. Here comes that pressure because I should know this because I should know this, you know. Well, how did you feel in that moment? Did you feel? Oh, it was embarrassing. And I remember like kind of like people looking like embarrassed for me. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. kind of just like was just done the rest of that class and just, you know, I remember feeling just embarrassed and, and like called out and singled out and sort of highlighted the way I've, I felt about, you know, that part of my life for a long time, which was, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite fit. I didn't know enough to fit in and mm-hmm. I didn't do enough differently to not fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember college, um, was, a 
good experience for me for the most part. Um, (laughs) But thankfully, I was able to be a part of some um, interesting conversations through um, the scholarship that I had afforded us to go to national conferences. And um, one of the uh, most amazing conferences I've been to is the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity and NCOR. And if you have never heard of it and you are in academia, please check it out because it's it's an amazing conference um, in core. I believe it started at Oklahoma University and uh, they hold it different places nationwide. But I've been to it twice to um, New York City and Indianapolis. And when we and it was at the Indianapolis conferences where. You know, they really promote just having the conversations um, that deal with race and um, stereotypes. I mean, they have breakout sessions, there's spoken word, there's dance, there's um, keynotes. There's so many things going on at this at, at this conference. And I was just amazed at hearing about the different um, struggles of the different minority groups and how how. You know, specifically for Native Americans, um, I attended the Native American track, and when it was a small panel, maybe four or five people, and there was only about a dozen of us, you know, mm-hmm. in that room, and I just remember, like, not really knowing what to expect, but I right. sat down, I had my notes, I had my pen, my paper, and I'm just sitting there, and, um, well, they began to play um, some videos. They, they asked us a question, like, how does this make you feel? Um, and they played a song called I am Indian too. And, you know, they talk about like, I wear wampum beads and I'm an Indian Mm -hmm. too. And they're dancing around, you know, with the, you know, the, the feather in their hair and the two braids and the paint on their face. And, um, it made a lot of the, a lot of my colleagues angry. And I just remember sitting there and just not wanting to be called on and not really wanting to have an opinion. Um, what I liked about that conference was they gave everyone a voice and they gave everyone right. equal time. Like, if you want to say something, say it, because this is the place to say it. Right. And for me, it made me so uncomfortable because I've never had to engage in that kind of conversation ever in my life. Right. So to be able to talk about, you know, the some of the issues that surround um, you know, Native Americans, like, you know, the historical trauma, stereotypes, racism, the dehumanizing you know, aspects of it and the, mm-hmm. you know, objectif- objectifying the, you know, women, um, you know, some of those things were very eye-opening. And, right. um, yeah, even, you know, to the point of talking about how historians focus on certain groups in, in college books, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. tell the whole part of the story. Right. Um, and just hearing other people talk about their experience growing up um, as Native Americans who don't look anything like what you would think a Native American looks like, you know? Right, right. Um, and so you just, it just really threw me for a loop, to say the least. And I just remember by the time that conference was over, um, I was in the airport getting, waiting for my flight home, and I remember mm. calling my dad, and I just started crying. And mm. I was like, Dad, like, how come you never spoke Navajo to us mm. in the home? Like, how come you and Mom never, you know, taught us more about our culture and about our heritage and you know it was almost as though i just wanted a reason as to why i didn't have the confidence to speak up and to talk about right you know um being being a navajo woman Mm -hmm. and 
some of the issues that I deal with, I mean, I was still a young college student. Right. Um, but hearing just about some of the things that were going on in the world with other tribes, with other minority groups, and just having those discussions, there were a lot of teachable moments. Um, but I certainly, as a young college student, didn't really have a voice on dealing with protection of land, mm-hmm. water, air, you know, drilling, mining, um, right. you know, health and safety, poisoning, contamination, right. you know, um, a lot of a lot of things that were rooted deep in the histories where there was war and bloodshed and you right. know all these like really deep issues and traumas and pains of the past and here I am in college you know just trying to understand my journey <laughs> and my path right. and who I am and so being around you know professors and people who who write books and you know talk about this for a living about race mm-hmm. and ethnicity in America, I just, for me, it was just like, it was, I was just completely blown away and I don't Mm -hmm. think I was prepared for it Yeah. because I, I don't think I fully understood who I was as a native American woman. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember you called me, um, during that conference and like you said, you were pretty, pretty upset about, you know, the experience in general. Like you said, not, not feeling like you were prepared for those discussions or that you didn't have the background information or the upbringing to support being in those type of debates or feeling like you were, you were a slider and you're missing something. You were, you were mm-hmm. missing a piece of what you should have had or what you should have known. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, that's again, that, that pressure that you just weren't, you weren't quite enough of who you're supposed to be. Right? right. You weren't native enough. Right. Right. And, 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 and being surrounded by people who, and even in the midst of people who look like you and that you should find support in, you, you felt like it was, you were, um, like I said, just not, not enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, I will say, though, they did a great job of is making us feel safe. Mm-hmm. And they did tell us, you know, this is a safe place. Whatever's discussed here is stays here, doesn't leave this room. Yeah. And, you know, the the leaders of our group were very respectful and, you know, some people had some pretty strong opinions, but we all yeah. had that re- level of respect for one another that we were family. Yeah. And we even all ate out together during our lunch break. And then we would break out and then I would go back to, you know, my group, um, the Gates Millennium Scholar group. We were, we mm-hmm. would always come back together and talk about some of the things we learned in our sessions. And so, right. and even that was, is a scholarship for um, minorities. And so I was around other minority groups more and more um, when I attended these conferences and just being a part of student organizations and things like yeah. that in college. So it was a very eye-opening um, experience. And there was definitely a lot, a lot of tension when yeah. I would come back from these trips because, you know, when your eyes are open to what is out there and the issues that are out there. Right. The injustice. The injustices. And, yeah. and, you know, you don't want to just sit on the sidelines. Right. But then again, I mean, I don't know if you felt this way too. You don't mm-hmm. want to necessarily be at the forefront, you know, right. leading a movement. But yeah, yeah, you know, you feel compelled to, in some way, be involved or have your voice be heard mm-hmm. because they say, you know, not, right. not, not making a decision is a decision. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think I did. I kind of had a similar experience later in life. You know, fast forward to a few years ago, um, to the the peak of, I guess, some of the what people call police brutality, right? You know, the, the incidents in St. Louis and down in Florida and in Mm -hmm. Ohio and things that happen with, you know, I can't breathe or, you know, hands up, don't shoot. And, you know, Trayvon Martin and, you know, all those, all those incidents that happen, you know, all within a matter of a a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I remember feeling like, you know, the kind of even beyond um, their pressure of feeling like I don't fit in with you know, as a minority with, you know, my own race and heritage and with those on the outside, mm-hmm. it even seeped into, you know, faith and religion for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you and I have talked about how during that time I felt it, I, it was very difficult for me to to justify either some of the some of the rhetoric or lack of speech around what was going on within the church. And so for, for me, there was a disconnect between um, what the church was doing um, and what was happening in the world. And mm-hmm. I, 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 it was hard for me to, to, rec- to reconcile how do, how do I still claim to be a part of, you know, uh, Christianity and, and the church when I'm hearing from the church, all lives matter. I'm hearing from the church, blue lives matter. I'm hearing from the church, well, if he would just obey the law, you wouldn't get hurt. Or I'm hearing, you know, mm. things things that that are tell, are that are telling me that, you know, what your struggle and the struggle of your people doesn't matter as much as my message, mm-hmm. or doesn't matter as much as my affiliation with mm-hmm. a certain political party, mm-hmm. or my 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 appeal to a certain people, right? And and that that really you know hit me hard, and I was just like. How can how can someone claim to be a Christian, and claim to to be about love, and and but yet turn their nose up at someone who loses their life, regardless of how it happened, regardless of whether they obeyed commands or not, regardless of if they were guilty or not. Someone died. Someone died. Someone lost lost a son, a father. Someone lost a, you know, a brother. You know, and, and, and there were there were incidents where there were innocent people who were shot. You know, like the, the, the young man in his car was a Philando Castile who was in his car with his, you know, with his um, um, I think girlfriend and, 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 and children who were shot in front of his family, right, for reaching for his ID. Now, there were other things that happened in that situation. I understand, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. But, mm-hmm. you know, there were there were people who were, who were you know, killed and, and that didn't have to die. Mm-hmm. And for me, the church is... In least in the circles that I had, I had seen and heard, lack of a response to that, or, or um, I guess counter response to that, really um, struck me. And 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 I felt like at that point, and, and sometimes I had to choose between being black or being a Christian. Mm-hmm. I had to choose between being being you know, I, I couldn't be both. There was no middle ground. I was feeling pressure to say one thing or or another. And I'll never forget, you know, we were at a baseball game. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, in the midst of, of I guess, um, Trump made some comments about the NFL, and he was saying, you know, anyone that doesn't stand for the, you know, the uh, anthem should be fired, and, and he had used some other language in there. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were at a, at a baseball game the day after he made those comments, and we were in the like the, the guest services booth, and we're trying to get um, a, a booster seat for Timmy, for our son. Mm-hmm. And I was filling out paperwork, and I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening around me. I'm filling out paperwork and trying to get this booster seat. Oh, yeah. And um, I guess while I was doing that, the, the the anthem started playing, and everyone stopped and turned and you know looked toward the TV and had their hands over their heart and hats off and things. While I was still sort of at the counter filling out paperwork, I just wasn't paying attention. And I looked up to ask the question. I'm asked, I said, "Hey, do I need to fill this part out?" And I'm like, "She's the lady's just looking at me. She's like, like she's like this blank stare. Like, what are you doing?" And I'm like do I fill this part out too? And she just looked at me like, what are you going to do? And so I look around, I'm like, 
oh, the anthem is playing, and she's looking at me to see, am I going to kneel? Am I going to stand? Am I going to be at attention? Am I going to respect the anthem? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and she, and she was white, and she's looking at me like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I felt like, so now I got to choose between being black and being an American too, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I can't. I got to choose between being black and being a Christian, mm-hmm. being black and being an American. I can't have both. I can't have the, the, any kind of middle ground here, mm-hmm. right? There's this pressure now to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, that pressure was very real throughout a lot of parts of my life where I felt like I had to pick a side. I couldn't, I couldn't just be me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be black and a Christian and American because those, those things no longer could coincide. They were now at odds. And so, um, for different, for varying reasons. And so you know, that was a very real pressure for me. And, 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 and I'm trying to recall like how I got through or got over that, but it was, it was something I, I really felt quite a bit, you know, during that time was I had to now choose between being myself. I, could, I couldn't just be all of me. I had to be a certain part of me because mm-hmm. what was going on in the world and how people responded to it and mm-hmm. how people look at me. And so, yeah, I think it went beyond just race and into, you know, my citizenship and, and into my, my faith. And I had to pick a side. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah. I remember that was a really tough time. Um, yeah. Just for America in general. And... Um, we've even had the conversation of okay, what are we, how are we gonna talk to our son about right. about this? Because right. you know I'm Native American and it is it is black, and so how do we begin right. to have that conversation with our little toddler? Right. And about even who as he, he is, about who he is, and, and even as do, he grows yeah. up, you know, who who is he? What is he? How do how should he identify? Because it's, isn't that awful? That's it's like right, living yeah. in America. You do have to pick a say. You have to check a box. Yep, you got to pick. What are you? Yeah. Now nowadays they have you can pick more than one box in some places, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick a box. Yeah. You, you fit into which of these groups and right. So yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and I and I think kind of you know looking ahead at at how um, I've learned to cope with the pressure or deal with the pressure or even maybe eliminate the pressure is I think at some point I realized that, you know what, I'm just going to be me. It's good. And, and who I am may not fit in just any one of these categories, right? Going back to what my parents, you know, had taught us is that like, I'm a person first, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just a a human being, right? I'm not just, um, you know, a young black man. I'm not just, you know, uh, a, a Christian man, I'm, I'm, I can be all the above, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to just fit into any one circle or box or, you know, any, any one group that who I am is, is made up of many things and, and who I am is not, not confined to anyone's labels or anyone's, uh, thought of who I should be and what I should do. And I've, I've just learned to be free and learn to be me. And, and in the end, when you, when you, I think when you can just be yourself, and be true to who you are and, and operate in, in what your purpose is, the rest doesn't matter. The rest sort of fades away. You know, the, mm-hmm. the rest, the rest of it just becomes noise, background noise. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can get comfortable with, with who you are, you know, no matter what that is, the different parts of who you are and embrace all of who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm an educated young black man who loves computers and technology. Right? Who was I'm, homeschooled. I was homeschooled. Right. And, and if you don't like it, well, Sorry too bad you know i do <laughs> right mm-hmm. and and being able to embrace all those parts of me and like we were saying in our last uh, in our first podcast you know 
just being vulnerable and being open to share your story, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first things to do is, is accept your story. You have to accept who you are. You have to mm-hmm. really come to terms with this is who I am. This is my experience and my story. And if you don't like it, so be it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't change my confidence in myself and how much I love myself. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with being all the above. I'm mm-hmm. okay with being just a tad bit dorky and some corny jokes here and there. I'm okay with <laughs> liking to be outside and cooking barbecue. I'm okay with, with not listening to certain kinds of music. I'm okay with going to certain places. And I'm okay with my experience in my past. Mm-hmm. And I think that level of comfort and, and, and positivity around who I am is something I have to learn and grow into. Mm-hmm. And it may be more as I got an adult, just being more confident in who I am. And, and yeah, not feeling like I had to worry about what someone else thought. Or I had to worry about what someone else was, you know, going to label me as or think of think of me or accept me or not. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that go into who we are. Um, it's not just our race or where we come from. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was reading this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, which is an amazing book, by the way. I highly recommend it for all parents. Um, it, he talks about shaping influences. And the shaping influence are, are those events or circumstances in a child's developmental years that can basically be a catalyst for making the child who that person is. So the shaping is not automatic. Your, whoever your child becomes is a product of two things. And it is the first is life experience, and the second is how your child interacts with that experience. So it's like a two-sided coin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about the places we grew up in and the people we were around. So right. you made a choice to isolate. Mm-hmm. You know, when you realize, okay, there's tension here, there's some differences, you right. know, between yep. me and my own and me and others. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of withdrew because of bullying and being made fun of. But there's a lot more really beneath that surface and what mm-hmm. goes into, you know, who we are. And some of the things that um, Ted Tripp talks about is the structure of family life. You know, Nate came from um, a fam, a big family. We talked about that in the first episode and, mm-hmm. you know, his parents were together and still are. And my parents were divorced and birth order also plays a role. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of three. Where do you fall? Uh, d- depends on which side of the family you're referring to, <laughs> but I'm somewhere in the middle, not quite the, um, but on the, on the older side of the siblings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also family values plays a big part and your you said your your family your parents mm-hmm. were taught to your race isn't the number one mm-hmm. um, identifier of right. who you are. Right. You're a human being first. Um, and in my family, you know, our my parent philosophies, you know, was was very much deeply rooted in our culture. Um, right. A lot of unspoken rules, um, and you know, God was a big part of that. Our faith, mm-hmm. you know, we're a family of faith. We pray together and we attended church and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also family history is, is a big part. And I think that's where a lot of our understanding of race and ethnicity falls is family history. And we learned some of that through our college courses and conferences and things that we've been through, uh, mm-hmm. been to and attended. But it's, um, it's really interesting to think about, you know, what really makes up a person yeah. and how complex, you know, how complex we are as human beings and that race and ethnicity is just a part, a small right, part, part yep. of who we are as people. And I and I love, you know, just going back to, you know, church. Um, you know, I remember during that time, and you were talking about mm-hmm. feeling like you had to choose. Um, Dr. Tony Evans had this amazing video about 
you know, him kind of facing some of the similar situ uh, similar questions and how he talked about he was identifying with being Christian first mm -hmm. and again being human, being Christian and his faith, that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. And then everything else follows suit. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt, I feel the same way. You know, I, um, you know, being Navajo is, is something that I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, I think for me, my faith is what's most important is mm -hmm. the foundation of who I am. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that knowing, you know, who you are and knowing what your foundations are and, and identifying for yourself how you would identify yourself is, is, is key, right? Mm -hmm. and, and not allowing anyone else or any external pressure to, to, to make you feel like you don't fit in or you, don't, you aren't enough or, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you aren't doing it right or you have to do more of this or less of that. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding just, just who you are and understanding your own foundations and, and not allowing any external any external force to, to shake that is, is is important. And I think that's what, you know, going back to how we'll raise our children, we'll raise them to know, hey, your foundations are here. Your foundations aren't aren't what people tell you. Your foundation of who you are isn't what someone expects, someone else expects of you. It's not what, mm -hmm. you know, people out there tell you you should be and should be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, they're going to know, you know, who they are. And, and we're going to, you know, build them up to understand, you know, where their faith is, where their, you know, where their value is, who, what their value is as, as a person, you know, beyond um, their ethnicity and their, their multicultural background. <laughs> you know, that's going to be a, yeah. a part of who they are, but it's not the, not the core of who they are. And I think, I think that's, that's, that for me is, is, is where it's at. It's, you know, at the core of who you are, no matter who you are, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not race, it's not ethnicity, it's not culture, it's not heritage, it's not background, it's not where you grew up, it's not your social economic status. You know, the right. core the core of who you are is in, in the end is is how you treat other people. How do you treat other people? That's right. You know, like we like we said in the first episode, you know, I I do still firmly believe that, you know, our purpose is attached to to who and not to what. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, we all have are here on this earth to touch certain people. We're here on this earth to influence and impact certain people, inspire certain people. And at the core of who I am it should be you know, desire to really to love people and, and to, and to, uh, be a positive influence in, in others' lives. And, and that's, that, that goes beyond, uh, you know, race, ethnicity and status and so forth. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of taken back to when we first moved here to, to Dallas and we were looking for a church and we, you know, we had seen a couple online and attended a couple in person and we came across, um, you know, Hope Fellowship where we had sat in on a Sunday and just what happens is that Sunday, um, the pastor there, John McKenzie was talking about, um, love, which is one of their, one of their core values or pillars of the, of their mission statement is, is, mm -hmm. is love. And, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a great message all, all around, but I never forget the way he closed it talking about how he was in the airport and he saw what was obviously a family that was, that was being broken up, a, a Hispanic family that was going to have to, um, mm. uh, you know, the, I think the mom was leaving and the, and the dad and the, the, the children were staying behind. And he, and he was sort of assuming and in, in just based on what he saw that they were, weren't going to see each, other, see each other for a while, that someone was going back to somewhere and they weren't going to see each other for a while. And so they were having this moment at the airport where there was, you know, tears and they were, you know, being together as a family 
which might be for one last time for, you know, for extended period of time. And, mm-hmm. and he was, he was sort of thinking that, you know, these are people they have, they have, they have family, they have feelings. And he, and he was saying, you know, as if you call yourself a Christian, you don't have the right to hate no matter where the person comes from, no matter how they got over the border, mm-hmm. no matter how they enter the country, no matter who they are, you don't have the right to hate. You don't have the option. You don't have the option to not love. Right. And, and, and I think Christian or not Christian or not as a human being, I don't think we should give ourselves the right to hate. We don't, we shouldn't give ourselves the option to not show love no matter how an individual has gotten here or how that, you know, how they were brought mm-hmm. up or what their race or ethnicity or background is, you know, we shouldn't give ourselves the option to hate. Right. You know, and, and that, that, that hate is, is can show up in very subtle ways. And, you know, that's a topic for a different day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to, you know, make our only option to show love and to be positive influences, you know, to those around us. Mm-hmm. And regardless of, of where they, who they are, where they came from, how they got here, you know, just showing love. And, and that, that sermon, that way he closed that sermon was what, for me, solidified, oh yeah, we're going here, <laughs> right? We'll be here every, every Sunday because mm-hmm. I like the way he thinks, <laughs> you know, he gets it, <laughs> you know, this, this is, this is, you know, and, and their, and their, you know, their, their slogan or their, I guess their, their message was, you know, you matter to God, you matter to us, mm-hmm. which, which for me, and, and again, another topic for another um, episode is, uh, is, is like, you know, my, my take on, um, you know, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter versus Blue Lives, Blue Lives Matter. I think all the above are true. And the, none of the above have to be either or. They can all be both and. But I think um, where all those things fall short is that they aren't, they aren't personal enough. They don't break it down to being individual enough. And so what I would say is you matter and I matter. Mm-hmm. And if I really, truly believe that you matter and I matter, the way I approach our interaction would, would, would be very different, right? If I truly believe that your life matters mm, and my life good. matters, then the way I treat you would be much different, mm-hmm. right? The, the way I respond to, you know, the heated situation would be much different if I truly believe that your life matters and my life matters, that we both have a purpose here. We both have a reason to be here beyond this moment and this heated moment or this exchange that we're having. Your life still matters and my life matters. Mm-hmm. That makes it personal, right? That makes it one-on-one individual. Right. And I think that's where, um, you know, our focus should be. Not that the other, other statements aren't true. Not that it's not true that, Black lives, all lives, blue lives matter. That, mm-hmm. but that it's got to make it. It's got to be personal. It's got to be more, more intimate than that. It's got to be my life matters and your life matters. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, that's a whole other episode that we can go into at some <laughs> other time. But um, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, at the core of who we are ought to mm-hmm. be um, love for people. And Absolutely. and if that's if that's who we are and what we're, what we're aiming for, then that takes a lot of pressure off of someone else to feel like they have to be a certain way or be a certain, do a certain thing, look a certain way, respond a certain way, talk a certain way. You know, we can just be ourselves and we can, and we can love the uniqueness of each other. Absolutely. And then with those, um, with those awesome points that you shared, honey, is, you know, we also have our differences can be our strength. Right. I mean, it's a point of, I mean, it's a matter of perspective and being open to share and understand one another mm-hmm. and hearing one another. And that's a part of communication and, you know, just showing respect, you know, common courtesy, mm-hmm. working together. So, um, but we're grateful that we've been able to, to share 
um, our yeah. parts of our story and some of our views and things we've experienced. Yeah. And, you know, I honestly, like I said in the beginning, I was <laughs> a little nervous, a little tense. Yeah, and because like, and, 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 there's there's only so much we can cover yeah. in the hour that we've been talking, right? There's only so much we can we can cover about our background and our story. And I, I feel like I even even didn't even do mine justice to talk about the parts that I did. But, mm-hmm. you know, but that's 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 the that's the point, right? This is easy conversation. It's, right. it's, let's take these vulnerable, awkward, uncomfortable topics and mm-hmm. let's explore them. And so I hope that you, the listener, have enjoyed our conversation here and hearing our perspective on, on this idea of being stuck in the middle, you know, the pressure to fit in as a minority and really as anyone, not just a minority. Yeah. Right? We, you know, we all feel pressure to fit in and we all feel pressure to, to conform to certain norms or standards and, and you know, sometimes that pressure can... We might just have to say stuck in the middle dealing with pressure mm-hmm. to fit in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. it there in it there right yeah because <laughs> yeah it, it really we all we all put that pressure in, in some way in way or the other and, and yeah. you know again the the core of it, core of it all you know we have to just be positive influences to those around us and and show love to everyone that, mm-hmm. that we interact with so yeah. yeah so thank you all for joining us we hope that you found this podcast helpful and we look forward to hearing from you all. If you want to contact us or if you have any questions, you know, that's something we want to interact with you yeah. uh, on in the future. If you want to email us. Yeah, you can email us at info at easyconversationpodcast.com. Easy <laughs> Which you guys didn't see as I just... <laughs> yeah, you didn't see, see her slap my you arm. Like, slap my what's the, what's the email address? <laughs> Tell them the email address. Tell yeah. them the email address because I don't know. And it. I was like, it's, uh, yeah, so info at easyconversationpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, YouTube, all the above. Um, the info is on the end of the, in the outro here. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we'd love Who to knows, hear your conversation. We may need to expand this and, sure. you know, may need a part two. You never know. I don't know. It depends. Yeah, there's, a lot, there's a, lot, a lot more to this topic. I think yeah. that we could definitely explore. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear you guys' comments, your feedback on on this idea of the pressure to fit in and, and maybe how you've dealt with it or, or um, how you see it differently now based on our conversation. And mm-hmm. yeah, let's get your feedback on this one. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, this has been Nate and Lisa Brown with the Easy Conversation Podcast. Thank you and good night. Thank you. If you found this episode of this podcast helpful, Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, and every major podcast platform. Just search for Easy Conversation Podcast. Subscribe, share, comment, because we want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.